Welcome to Smart Sex, Smart Love, where talking about sex goes beyond the taboos and talking about love goes beyond the honeymoon. I'm Dr. Joe Court. Thanks for tuning in. Today's podcast is increasing intimacy through social and emotional intelligence. My guests today are John Ball and Lisa Goyette, co-founders and co-owners of CH Training and Coaching, an organization that specializes in working with businesses to help create healthy, productive, and engaging work environments through a customized approach that is unique to the culture of each client. All of their work utilizes social and emotional intelligence as the foundation for which relationships must be built and maintained. Lisa is a certified social and emotional intelligence coach and works to help people reach their highest potential professionally and personally. John has spent the majority of his career empowering people to move beyond the status quo, breaking barriers that hold them back while tapping into their full potential. He is also a certified social and emotional intelligence coach. Welcome, Lisa and John. Thanks for having us, Joe. Um, just so you know, John and I are presidents of your fan club. Oh, thank you. And same back to you. We've been friends for a while now, ever since I came oh to speak. Gosh. Yeah, yes, at that yes. conference. We do. And and as you know, and we say it frequently, um, uh, both in person as well as in the virtual space, Joe, we just are so, so appreciative of the work that you and your colleagues are doing to just make a positive difference uh, and helping our culture to shift in, in such a meaningful way. So thanks for having us. Yes, yeah, so so glad to have you here. I want to get the word out about what you do. So tell our listeners, what is the work that you do? Um, well, in a nutshell, if you think about what we are taught as kids growing up, moving through the school system, it's that our grades are what matter the most. And um, it's, you know, what your GPA is, where you rank in your um, school based upon your other peers. But what we know is that that is part of the equation, but the bigger part of the equation is how we move through life as socially and emotionally Mm -hmm. intelligent men and women. And what that really means is, do we have the ability to communicate our needs to be self-aware of our feelings, to be other aware of those that we move through life with Mm -hmm. and what they're feeling and experiencing and how we kind of wrap all of that together in a package and bring about health in the relationship so that even when we have differences, that we can find ways to work through those differences to create an outcome that is positive that works for everyone. And in relationship to that, Joe, um, so the work that we do is then taking that entire perspective and bringing that into organizations. Because what we believe that as much as the work that you and your colleagues are doing to really impact the front on human sexuality, it's important to be able to get the stakeholders Uh, who are um, in our culture on board as well. And so we find ourselves uh, oftentimes in uh, the educational environment as well as in uh, for-profit corporations uh, to really create healthy, engaged, uh, and productive work environments where, as Lisa said, people are aware of themselves, they're managing their behaviors, they're aware of what's happening around them, and they're managing their relationships effectively. 
That makes so much sense. You know, we as a therapist, I always talk about people having an IQ they're about their intelligence, but then an EQ, emotional intelligence. Can you speak to that? Absolutely. And so um, the EQ part of that goes back to, uh, and I think there's a lot of um, uh, uh, parallel work that both you do uh, in, in the therapeutic uh, sense, but in our, our world, the EQ is our ability to understand who we are as individuals, um, how we perceive the world, uh, and so really what it comes down to is four different quadrants in terms of emotional intelligence. It's, it's the awareness of self, uh, our behaviors, uh, our history, our family of origin, um, our, uh, the, the things that motivate us and drive us, and then managing those things effectively. And as we said before, the second part of that is the other awareness in, in terms of that EQ of being really conscious of, uh, as we put it, uh, a person that uh, is, is curious. The, the second part of this is the other awareness where we become people who are curious and wanting to learn more about other people. Um, so oftentimes what we find in the work that we do is that we move into this place of judgment within the first 10 or 15 seconds that we build relationships and our preconceptions of who people are really drives that relationships. And so it, it, it requires us to take a few steps back and start asking the question of who really is this person and what is their story and their experience that um, really makes them who they are. I imagine all this leads to like discussion around vulnerability and authenticity. How does this tie into the social and emotional intelligence? So as part of social and emotional intelligence, as John was explaining, there's four quadrants. And then within each of those quadrants, there's skill sets that um, to be emotionally intelligent, to be socially intelligent, we're hoping that people can learn those skill sets and master those. And being able to be vulnerable and to, to be authentic requires that we understand first and foremost why I'm feeling and what are my triggers for those feelings. And in order for me to be able to express those feelings, I have to be able to feel safe in a relationship. I have to, to know that if I express my feelings, that I am not going to be judged and there's going to be a level of empathy that is going to mm -hmm. be extended my way across the table. So when we talk about creating vulnerability and deep vulnerability, it really comes down to safety. People need to be to feel safe. They need to feel that they're not going to be judged. And they really need to feel the gift of empathy in a very strong and convincing and sincere way. What have been some of the biggest blockers uh, that you've seen in people that they want to do this, they understand what you're saying, but what things that have gotten in their way? Well, and I think it goes back to the question that um, is, is worth asking is what is um, relational intimacy? And so for the longest time, and, and we've had these conversations with you, Joe, on many different occasions, is culturally we have entered into a place of transactional relationships. Uh, that's driven by a number of different factors. Um, but 
what what really prohibits us from developing true relational intimacy um, is our families of origin, our history, our experience um, that we've had with with other people in our lives. And we've developed a mentality around what relationships really are. And so as we look at developing um, relationships that are truly intimate, it comes down to three particular things um, that is common in all of us as human beings. We all have the innate desire to be seen for who we really are, to be heard for what our hearts are, are saying uh, as, as a part of the makeup and the DNA of who we are as human beings. And then we also have the desire to be, to be loved. And um, we put it like this in a lot of our training and our coaching is that we learn very early on as children on the playground that there's a price that's paid when we venture out and truly become vulnerable and authentic. Mm -hmm. um, we, we get bullied, we get harassed, we get demeaned, um, we get teased. And so over the course of time, what we learn is, is that vulnerability and authenticity is actually um, um, something that's not worth investing in relationships, um, but rather we build walls and we create silos for ourselves to protect ourselves from from um, being hurt as individuals. Yeah, and in psychotherapy, we call it complex trauma, where over time, the bullying, the negative messaging, all of that um, accumulates. And it's the, the, the accumulation of it all that sets up the lack of vulnerability, which is then your work is about undoing for them. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. It is. And it's, and it's helping them to see because there always has to be a sense of payout and value in what we're able to discover in terms of taking that risk again to go to that playground and, and to develop new relationships and enter into that place of vulnerability. Uh, and it saddens us, Joe, so, so often when we're doing the work that we're doing in the corporate environment that we've created environments where it's not acceptable to be truly authentic. And so we live false, misleading, um, uh, we, we live lives that are truly a lie, that aren't authentic because we've learned over the course of time that, that it, it's, it's not worth taking that risk. So it's helping our clients, the people that we're coaching and in the training environment that we're working in, to be able to see that there's inherent value in the rich and depth of the relationships that are able to be formed uh, therein. How how receptive are the businesses uh, and the people in the businesses? Like, do people like kind of reject it, or are they? Do they find it like, how is this going to work? Because at work, you got to be sort of guarded, right? And now, but you're coming in saying, no, we want you to put your guard down. How do they reconcile the two? <laughs> um, so when we move into the business world, there's definitely um, a level of, um, I guess, caution that we have to be really conscious of because if we come in like we normally want to talk like we can with you and start using words like, you know, tell us about, um, you know, how you feel in a meeting if someone ticks you off, what does it really feel like? Um, they are going to look at us like, you know, oh my gosh, there's no way I'm, I'm, I'm going to divulge that. So we have to kind of um, really be mindful of understanding that, it is scary for people in the business world to let their guard down. So we have to um, 
kind of do it in a way that first and foremost, we have to build um, the trust between us and our, our, um, our partners, if you will, and teach them the benefits that come out of having relationships where vulnerability can really be obtained. And, you know, what we know is that none of us are going to get our needs met if we go through life and we talk about superficial things, right? Um, oh my gosh, I can't believe here it's April. What's today? The 19th, 20th, I don't even know. 21st. It's April 21st and we had snow flurries. <laughs> um, it's cold out. I can't believe that. We're, we're never going to, to, you know, reach a level of, of intimacy mm-hmm. if we move through life having those kind of conversations. And we always say, why can't our work world and the relationship that we have with our work partners be just as fulfilling and just as rich and just as intimate as we have in our personal lives? Mm. But a lot of people are really afraid to cross that, that you know, invisible line. So we teach them the benefits that come out of creating re- relational intimacy in our places of employment and the gifts that come out of it. So it takes time. There's no doubt about that, Joe. Um, but I think over time, um, the the businesses that we have done work with really start seeing the value that comes out of um, exploring that and creating those environments where you start having people that become more loyal. You start seeing things like productivity starts increasing because you feel like, wow, they really care about me here. They see me more as the title that they've hired me, um, you know, to work for in this company. And we start seeing that the, the gifts that come out of creating this vulnerability, it, it starts benefiting everyone. I like this. It goes back to my Imago training where really the, the thing about it is in couples therapy and just in relationship, people want to be seen, people want to be heard, people want to be valued, and people want to be validated. And I have to deal with that in my own group practice, right? I can just have the therapist work for me and see clients and make me money and it, it just hums along and I, I don't really have to interact with them that much, but I want to. I want to for many reasons, but I want them to know that I value each and every one of them in different ways. And I want them to feel good about the work they're doing and that they're being seen in a positive way. And that's what you're talking about. Yes. And, and let me add to this too, Joe, uh, and on, on a cultural level, um, there is no secret or it shouldn't be a secret by the fact that we're making a huge, huge shift. Even prior to COVID, um, as, as we talked about um, there's a tsunami, a tsunami that's actually happening right now in in our country in terms of this cultural shift that's being driven by uh, generational diversity, um, ethnic and racial diversity. Uh, it's being driven by um, political divides as well as so many other social constructs. And so this has become the perfect storm in so many regards. That's really creating a a huge cultural shift where we're we're having to find ourselves realigning to the new norms. And when you ask the question, are corporations and organizations receptive to this? Our response is, if they're not, they need to be. Because what's driving the conversation now 
is a generational mentality and ideologies around a desire for authenticity, um, uh, rich and meaningful relationships in the workplace. It's not being driven by by monetary um, achievement uh, or title necessarily, but we have a generation, millennials and Zs, that are driving this conversation around the expectation that I'm going to be in an, I'm going to be working for. Uh, an, a, a business that is healthy and productive and engaging and is meaningful where I can have rich and productive relationships. And so we say if businesses aren't willing to have this conversation, um, it, it's definitely not only a travesty, but it will also become um, the potential possibility for their downfall. I couldn't agree more. And it's probably hard for you to convince them, but just knowing your work and listening to you on the podcast today, I imagine that they're able, because you have a business sense, both of you, and you have a psychological sense and a social sense. Yeah. And, you know, can I give you an example of just a real um, simple way that this works? And it was something that happened to me personally. Um, I, I did come out of the business world and um, my husband and I had adopted a baby from China. So I was a new mom hmm. and I had taken the family leave and then I was going back to work and I worked in a predominantly, um, you know, male environment and um, a very fast paced environment. And I remember being back at work for probably about two weeks and I was just, I was overwhelmed and I had all of these emotions. You know, there was a level of guilt that I was, you know, back at work and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I've got this baby at home, you know, am I doing the right thing by going back at work? But yet I still have that desire of, of wanting to um, be a part of the business world. Anyway, um, after about two weeks, one of the senior VPs of my company pulled me into his office and he said, hey, at least you got a minute. I want to talk to you. And And he started asking me, you know, I just want to find out how it feels for you to be back at work. What is it like for you as a new mom? You know, what kind of feelings are you experiencing as you're trying to manage both work and juggling the responsibilities of motherhood? And I remember he was the only person that asked me that question. Everyone else from the day that I um, returned to work, it was just like, I hadn't left. It was like, hey, Lisa, you know, this needs to be done by this time. And, you know, I need you to have this presentation ready. But this individual was able to see me for more than just a program manager. He saw me as as a mother who was struggling with wearing multiple hats. And I remember feeling this closeness to him, this relational intimacy. Mm. And I walked out of his office and feeling a loyalty to him that I, I just um, thought, gosh, you know, this is someone that really cares about me and sees me more than the title of, of the position that he hired me for. That's wonderful. I, that's a great story. And people need to be able to hear that so that they know it can be possible in their, their places of work. Um, I guess the last thing I'd like to ask you before we end is, you know, the pandemic has said, obviously, and how has that impacted and what's your perspective on this and what what advice can you provide for this? Yeah, so um, what 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 we have seen is that um, in terms of the earlier part of this conversation, Joe, that we had in terms of the cultural shift, um, as much as 
that has moved at such a rapid pace. The pandemic has um, e uh, even further exasperated that. Um, and in many ways, what we have seen, and we've been saying this from the very get-go of the pandemic, within two or three weeks after uh, we entered into um, lockdown and were quarantined, is we were concerned by the emotional, psychological, and social impact. We're calling this the second pandemic. Um, still to this to this day, and it causes a great level of frustration on our part, is that uh, rightfully so, we need to keep people physically safe. But the second pandemic is around the social, psychological, and emotional impact that this has had upon the human race. Uh, and we're concerned about the emotional um, well-being of the workforce. And so what we're saying much like businesses and, and individuals should be putting together safe practices in terms of keeping themselves physically safe from the virus, there should also be practices and initiatives put into place to help mitigate the psychological, emotional, and social impact that this has had upon their workforce and upon them as individuals. And so being clear about what we're feeling and what we're experiencing and how we respond to that in effective ways? What are the ways that we provide self-care to make sure that we're doing well emotionally and psychologically? And so we've been doing a fair amount of work uh, in terms of not only coaching, uh, as well as helping businesses to create initiatives um, so that they're able to care for their workforce in, in that particular fashion. That makes so much sense. Is there anything else you want to say before we end that the message that you uh, that we didn't get to, but want to make sure that people hear about you? Yeah, you know, um, the one thing that we've been telling businesses that they really have to be mindful of is there's there's all of this stuff that has been circling around us. So we acknowledge that the pandemic has been going on. But there's also the fact that um, there's the social unrest that is happening in our country. There's political division to the likes that we've never seen before. And all of that stuff is coming into our places of employment because every single one of us has an opinion about all of this stuff. And what we're seeing is that most of us have a pretty strong opinion one way or another. So the lens that John and I look through life is, is that our responsibility as mature, socially and emotionally intelligent men and women is that we don't judge what those opinions are, but we teach employers how to meet their employees where they're at with what they're feeling and what they're experiencing. And that's how you create health because by putting their heads in the sand and pretending like, well, if it's not being discussed, we're not, you know, we're not experiencing it here is the furthest thing from the truth. So we promote finding ways to teach people how to discuss the mm -hmm. elephant in the room, how to handle conflict management in a way that builds bonds rather than tears us um, apart. You know, you know, as I, as I think about, as we close together, you know, I, I, I we appreciate you venturing outside of your normal conversations with smart sex, smart love and this <laughs> podcast. Um, we're, we're, 
we, we would probably have things to add around um, the new conversation around fandom, um, which we just learned was a term from you the other day. Um, yeah, we're, we're not talking about Uranus doesn't have a sexual orientation. We're not talking about hot wifing or cuck holding. Uh, or BDSM. Damn um, it, this is getting interesting at the end. I know. Let's, let's wrap it up. We got another half hour, Joe. The, the, the thing that we strongly believe, and we're not uncomfortable in having any of those conversations around human sexuality, as you know, around some of our dinner conversations that we've had. Um, but really, if we're wanting to have meaningful and, and, uh, and, um, meaningful relationships that are alive and fulfilling, these are the conversations that contribute to the fulfillment of the sexual part that oftentimes you bring to this podcast. And so we see ourselves as um, partners with you and so many, because it takes all of us together to continue to have this conversation as we see our culture and our relationships evolve. Thank you. I agree. That's why I wanted you on here. How can people find you on the internet? So um, we uh, they they can quite easily just find us at www.chtrainingandcoaching.com, chtrainingandcoaching.com, uh, and we would love to have a conversation with individuals uh, as well as business leaders and organizations. And uh, again, thank you so much, Joe, uh, for having us on in this conversation and let's keep uh, doing the good work that we all do together. Absolutely, John. Lisa and John, I'm so glad you came on. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for joining me today. And for those of you, my, you that are my listeners, I hope you've been enjoying Smart Sex, Smart Love and that you'll continue listening in. And you can also follow me on Twitter, on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. You just go to at Dr. Joe Court. That's J-O-E-K-O-R-T. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Smart Sex, Smart Love. I'm Dr. Joe Court. You can find me on joecourt.com. That's J-O-E-K-O-R-T.com. See you next time.